Welcome back to the Basement Boys and Girls, fellow music lovers of all kinds. If you're now tuning into Chunky Glass of the Podcast, I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. And uh, I'm glad you guys are, are hanging out with us this afternoon or evening or, or morning or whenever you're listening to us. Uh, I'm recording this on a nice fall afternoon here in Washington, D.C. Um, our podcast this week is, is quick, simple, and to the point. We are talking with the amazing Sarah Watkins. Uh, you may know her from Nickel Creek. You may know her from Watkins Family Hour. You may have seen her out with the Decemberists. You have seen her with any band that you can think of. Probably your favorite band. She has played with them. Uh, this is a person who's been making music since the tender age of four. Uh, and and just has, has sort of seen and done it all. Her new album came out this year, Young in All the Wrong Ways. I believe it's her third solo album. Uh, it was great. We talked about it a little back then. Uh, didn't give it a full review, but... Uh, ends up she was touring through here uh, so we we said hey what let's take this opportunity to uh, maybe sit down and talk about it one of our favorite albums of the year and met her at the Hamilton you know which we we, we don't often do uh, remote interviews we have a we have a comfy basement uh, if you're an artist listening you know it has a couch it has cats we have coffee uh, tea we have beverages cold beverages and ice uh, but you know for this, because someone who, who tours at this level and everything, the, the schedules are, are sort of hectic, and we said, okay, well, let's do it. There, some of the pitfalls of doing that show up on this on this little interview, but but all said and done, I think it's uh, it remains just a, a nice, a lovely chat with a fantastic artist here. And uh, one of the most fun things I did this year. So how about that? So here you go. Um, without further ado, we're just getting to it. It's episode number 229. Of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. Where I'm sitting down with Sarah Watkins. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man. Merely a two-word review. Just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up and down. That right there is a wonderful sound. Mobile recording. Sorry. That's quite all right. You were a violin player. I was. I was. was. So when did you stop playing? I stopped playing uh, when I was 18. Mm -hmm. I went to college. I was actually concert master of, of our orchestra. Wow. And, um, and it was just violins. It was, a, it was a program in Lynchburg, Virginia. A guy by the name of Bruce Habitsruther and his wife Ellen. Mm -hmm. And they taught Suzuki which you've taken. Yeah. And uh, they, he was also the conductor of the Lynchburg Symphony Orchestra, worked with the Roanoke Symphony Orchestra. We competed. Wow. We're in Washington, D.C. We competed uh, at the Kennedy Center. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. So we went hard into the classical stuff, which isn't, you know, growing up, if you're doing that, it's not as cool as bluegrass. I don't think, I, I disagree. I think they're equally nerdy. And, and it reclusive. It could be. <laughs> it could, yeah. Well, reclusive, that is definitely it. Um, and uh, I got to college, and this was a, I had been playing guitar, and the guy put me at the back of second violins. And I was like, oh, no. It's like, no. And then I just gave it up. The violin's sitting in my house. Mm -hmm. If we had done this here, you, you would have seen it sit up. then? Yeah, I stopped that. I pick it up every once in a while. My wife is like, yeah, you should play this. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll play it once in a while. Yeah. And it comes out, but, you know, our basement is full of, like, instruments, so there's always stuff going on, just mm -hmm. not that specific instrument. Aww. But I also quit piano around that time because... Uh, uh, so how know, many instruments do you play? Everything except horn instruments. Uh-huh. And uh, that was because asthma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So that didn't so that didn't work out for me. But like um you know we were talking about how you pick up instruments when before our little snafu here. Yeah. Um and 
and what you are necessarily drawn to. Like I played piano as well, and I now have the opportunity to get like say my my actual piano mm-hmm. that I learned on, and, and it's going to be up here in a few months. And it's like, holy crap, Aww, what do I do great. with that? You stuck with the fiddle. Yeah, well, my I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have stayed so uh, monogamous with the fiddle <laughs> for so long. I um, I, I grew up. Uh, a brief brief history of my my story is that I, I grew up in Southern California, mm-hmm. um, and my parents took us to see this band called Bluegrass Etc. play every week at a pizza parlor. Pizza parlors are generally where bluegrass music happens because it's cheap, family-friendly entertainment. Kids can run around, mom and dad can have a beer, and listen to music. This, this idea that there's bluegrass in California, though, is sort of crazy. I mean, there's the Bakersfield sound, there's country, but, like, actual bluegrass. There are pockets of bluegrass everywhere. Okay. And, 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 and the scenes kind of, you know, swell and then diminish. And yeah. Depending on, you know, if there's a band in town. And this particular band, Bluegrass Etc., was the heart and soul of this scene. And um, and uh, members have like moved away, but they still are. Uh, there's still some there. But um, John Moore and Dennis Kaplinger, John's sister Julie, played in the band. Byron Berline's an amazing fiddle player who lived in Los Angeles at the time. And, and then other people would come and play. For me, music was just a normal thing because we became friends with the mm-hmm. band and camping with John, the the mandolin player, um, and other people from the scene. It just the community is very, it's not like performer and audience. It's very right. fluid. So every, you know, they had this weekly gig, they're playing three or four hours. They would get, you know, Richard, the mailman, to come up and, you know, buck dance. And then they would get, which is like clogging, or they would get, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, Ken Owens to play Spoons or, or, you know, other people to come and sing one of their, you know, three or five songs that they, that they like to sing at the party. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and we as kids... That just kind of seemed normal. And so at one point, um, I requested the song Long Black Veil when I was four years old. And, <laughs> and they invited me up just to sing it. And so I yeah. sang the chorus. And, and, um, and then they're like, what else do you know? And so I'd sing you know, songs I learned in kindergarten or, or <laughs> something like that. And they would just right. follow along. It's just a very generous uh, group of people and, 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 and scene. And um, so I, I feel very, very lucky that, that I grew up like that. Yeah, I mean that, and that that is that's lucky and that's rare. Yeah, that, I think that happens in uh, if you get into like Appalachia. I'm from like Southwest Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, and and this is a dumb question. Like, of course, you've been to the Galax Fiddle Convention. Have not. Or have not. Have wow. Not. So so what you're describing like happens there, mm-hmm. and it happens in these smaller communities and yeah. stuff where the entertainment before we had the internet, before we had anything, the entertainment was literally well. I've got an instrument. Yeah. I've got a banjo. People I've got in a, a room fiddle, making music. People in a room making music, and then or that, telling stories. Or tell, or yeah, and and teaching that talent. So when you find somebody, like uh, my cousin, is actually a bluegrass musician for years in uh, in North Carolina. He's played with just small mm-hmm. smaller bands. He built a uh, band cello once, which was wow. an amazing instrument. Um, and but he can sit and tell this story. We, like we've both been playing instruments our whole lives. We didn't do that in our family. Nobody in our family is mm-hmm. musical, and uh, and but he wait, can, wait, what do you mean? No one in your family? Nobody is in my family is musical. You've been play, you played music until you're eighteen. I, uh, it, I, it was well, I am, but nobody else in my family. Okay. Is, my, my my parents like the extent of. Uh, like our record collection was the Carpenters and like Muskrat Love. Did they sing at all? Sing no. in church? Did they? No. no. Nothing. Wow. Nothing at all. And uh, neither did his family. Hmm. They were that side of the family. They liked a lot of Neil Young, mm-hmm. and they lived out in the mountains a little more. So they had a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he'll sit down and play to this day, and and just be able to tell a story using his instrument. To and it's 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 so unique, mm-hmm. and it's something that I think. You see a lot of people like playing music today, and, and they've forgotten about that may be the point of music. It's a really special thing to experience, and it, it takes a different mindset. It mm-hmm. takes patience. Sometimes I'm not in a, the right space to just kind of slow down. But when you have a group of people in a room who have something in common like that, like it's kind of like playing a game. Like, yeah. Like it's, it's realizing that there's, you know, two or more people in a room who you catch on to this similarity. Yeah. Maybe that's like comic book nerds or, right, right. or, um, or 
you know, card players or, or something. And you can just, you can just have, you have a starting place. And then where the conversation ends three hours later right. is it's gone through this whole journey. Yeah. And, um, hang on. <laughs> we'll just unplug everything. Uh, you know, a few hours will go by. It's a whole journey. And you, um, you've shared this, inc- this great thing with people. And it's very, very powerful. And, and to, to do that in a room full of people and just find this, I don't know, it feels very instinctually satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, because like, because I think everybody can do it to some mm-hmm. extent, right? Yeah, if you if you open yourself up to it to to that kind of sharing. Yeah. And um, anyway, music music is is a, a great way for for that to happen, and uh, I was fortunate to to be exposed to it pretty early. Yeah. And Nickel Creek started when I was a kid, <laughs> and we just kind of kept going. Right. And and all that you guys in that group, your brother was one of them. Chris yeah. Lee was the other one. And, uh, and Chris's dad played bass in the band oh, for the I, first I didn't know eleven that. years. Oh, yeah, I did, actually, I did know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys, at no point, uh, like Sean didn't bring in a Beatles record and be like, "Hey, check this out!" And then out goes the fiddle. Like, no, it it, it was it was we would because that's would, what usually happens. Well, yeah, I know. Well, maybe I was just too chicken, but I think for me. The band that we grew up hearing, Bluegrass, etc., they played Beatles and they played Beach Boys and they played Marty so Robbins and they played, yeah. you know, yeah, they they played, um, you know, not terribly modern things, but they play like, you know, Nitty Gritty, Durban and Don Williams and like that was like eighties, nineties yeah. country, yeah. But um, and they'd play, you know, probably like some Eagles songs or something like that, yeah. And they did it on bluegrass instrumentation, so as far as we knew, that you could just play a variety of play anything you wanted to on these instruments and yeah. and that was the the take that we took and um so that that happened you know people would bring in music that that we stumbled upon and we would figure out how to play it on our mm-hmm. on our instruments and i should have picked up the guitar a lot earlier uh but it was always i was always immediately frust- discouraged by the fact that what i played didn't sound as good as what Sean, Chris, or anyone else <laughs> right, could right, do, right, right. and so I would just be like, you know, I'm gonna stick here with my fiddle, and and it was it was way too long that I did that. I should have been in my room, secretively shedding, um, years and years ago. Yeah, was there a point on 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 your fiddle where you just looked at yourself, probably I don't know, age six, and were like, yeah, I think I got this. I think there's different moments when you feel, diff- you know, varying levels of cockiness, but yeah. I grew up playing in there. Competitions are a big deal yep. in the the bluegrass world, and there were these festivals, and I was lucky enough to never to rarely win these competitions, so I never felt like I had it covered. And also, I was in a band with two people who were always keeping me challenged. Yeah, and 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 you know, writing and arranging things. We were always trying to do different you know things we hadn't done before, and so I was I was fortunate to not be able to let rest too easily on my laurels for too long yeah and and it i mean it's not until now 25 years later that you actually on your new album sort of have put down the fiddle yeah i mean i mean uh young and all the wrong ways is it's almost a pop album if you say so i well, i it, don't i don't think a lot of people would take it that way you don't think so not not even the uh the move me song well, I mean, I don't really know. I don't really. I'm not one to be able to properly define things when definitions okay. are changing every week. But yeah. Um. But it is less fiddle centric for sure. Yeah. Uh, there are several songs with strings on it or mellotron strings. Um, I play fiddle fiddle on two two songs right, maybe. Right. And um, but that was kind. That was a that was a choice. Uh, Gabe Witcher, who produced the record, uh-huh. is is an old friend and then a fiddle player as well. Yeah. And I think he and I both. We're ready to just not listen to fiddle very much. <laughs> right, right, and, um, right, right. Well, it's it, such a big sound, like a defining and, sound. And that's what I mean. It's a big sound, especially that song. Um, it's um, fiddle very... makes a rock song sound like country. Yes. And that's distracting and frustrating sometimes. Yes. And, and too simplified. And these rock songs. So, I mean, were you trying to make a rock album or you were just trying to, you had these songs and you said, let's just see what happens. I wasn't trying to make a, a rock album, but the, the lyrics... 
Um, we were talking earlier, and you you mentioned that it it sounds like I was going through a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. and I was. I I for me this this album is not uh it's it's not biographical. Yeah. At all, autobiographical. It's not, but it it, it does come from my perspective, of course, because I, yes. I wrote the songs. Yeah. yeah. So. Whether it's how I see someone else's life mm-hmm. or how I see uh, a situation or a lot of things happening, it, it's, it's through the lens of, of my upbringing, my right. life, my struggles, my um, goals. And so a lot of these songs are, um, a lot of these songs are about, you know, 10 different things that, that, that have formed into a similar issue that. I ended up writing a four-minute song about. Right. But, um... I mean, because there, there is a theme on this album of, um... Like, transitioning into something else. That yeah. I think it's just about on every every song. Some more blatant than others. And some yeah. are more, uh, you know... Uh, some more, honestly, like, country. But it's... it's there is it's a country, country pop. Have you, like, have you like heard, a two-step have, Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you heard, uh, like, Laurie McKenna's album? I have not heard it yet. Oh, my God. I've heard it's great. I need to dig in. It is gorgeous. Um, And what she's really good at, and I think what you're really good at on this, is telling these stories that it could, like, you could assume it's you, but you don't have to. You know, it can apply to anybody. Mm. And so you hear that song, Move Me, or even the title track. Uh, If you hear that and don't immediately start just start thinking about an older relationship like you're probably not alive well i and, I, I appreciate that that's that's the goal is that yeah, you'll that, write something uh, right, that right. people can relate it's, to it, yeah um transition is absolutely what what i the consistency in the album yeah it was a, a goal of mine i could feel a lot of parts of my life transitioning and um and I was really reaching for that. I, I am so afraid that I will somehow wake up and find myself in a rut I never meant to be in. Yeah. And I think patterns are, are fine. Um, consistencies are, 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 are well and good. I didn't want to find myself in one by default just because I hadn't bothered to update myself, look around right. the world and and think about oh you, you get complacent. The world is a different place than it was right. two years ago, four years ago. How do I feel about what, that? Was that brought on in any way by doing the Nickel Creek reunion? I mean, was that what started you thinking about that? No, because you guys are all friends. It's not like this. It's not. It had really of all the things in my life that has the least to do with these oh, wow. albums. I it more has to do with with just. Honestly, thinking about the world, thinking about um, the relationships I want to have with the people around me. Yeah. Friends, old friends, new friends. Um, Move Me is, is, all the songs are about several things. But one of the things that, that Move Me is about is, um, <laughs> I, was, I was flying over into, into Florida or over Florida or something. Mm-hmm. It was nighttime. And I remember this very distinctly, that just think, looking down at the, the shoreline, it's just, you know, a mass of like dark and darker where the shoreline ends and the ocean starts. And there's right. all that, like, there's all the beautiful, um, the keys and, you know, marshlands of Florida. Yeah. And all that you can see at nighttime is these straight lines of lights yeah. that, that make it seem very square. Like you have pins and you're tying a string from bit to bit, connecting the dots. And I just realized, um, I thought like, wow, that's so human of us yeah. <laughs> to just take this thing that is so complicated and want to just find the shortest route, yeah, straight line it. And, and that got me thinking about all kinds of things, how, you know, I like yes or no's. I like mm-hmm. absolutes and more and more as life goes on, I am drawn to the things that are not yes or no, but that have this incredible expanse of in between 
or curvature. Like you don't see a lot of right. absolute straight lines in nature. Even the things that look straight. You don't straight, see any. Yeah, it's, it's they, they everything just, is twisted. They literally don't exist. Everything is twisted. Everything is, is um, curved or, or um, and, and, and that's what I'm drawn to these days. And I think when it comes to issues, when it comes to um, uh, relationships and, and, and everything, mm-hmm. The more, more and more, which I think this is a lot of like, you know, when you're a kid, you're taught very simplistic way of seeing things. And, and, um, and the older you get, the more you realize, oh, there's this huge in between, this great in between that, that I want to live in that in between. I don't ever want to be drawn to one side or the other of issues for convenience. Yeah. And because of ease. I think that's what people often refer to as, like, as wisdom. It's learning to navigate all that. Mm. I mean, they say, we're in Washington, D.C. This is arguably what people sure. sh- are, su- are, are supposed a, to be doing right yeah. now because mm-hmm. if we were just a binary thing, then like less would get done than is getting done now. Um, when you came up with that song title, Young and All the Wrong Ways, what did that mean to you? Because, I mean, that's... Loaded isn't the right word, but it's a powerful phrase. Young and all the wrong ways. Young and all the wrong ways, yeah. I don't. It just it came out at the end of a of a verse. I did. I hadn't really thought about it too oh. much. Um, but I was writing about uh, you know transitioning and feeling like. All those things we were just talking about. Young on the Wrong Ways, it's the first song that I wrote for the album. Okay. And it's the first song on the album. And it kind of sets the tone of, of a lot of things to come on the album. Yeah. We just made it the title track. And um, because of those things. And so what I was writing on that song ended up, it's almost like, like an essay or something. Where it, it yeah. sort of summarizes a lot of things that end up coming out throughout the rest of the, the songs. And um, yeah, that, that phrase came out... Uh, when I was thinking about a, a situation where I felt like, oh, you know, you, and it's, you know, there's a wish that I knew now what I knew then kind of, yeah, yeah, kind yeah, yeah. of idea to it. Um, because it can imply like regret, remorse. It can also imply just sort of like a hope for the future. I, it's, it's weird. Like, in, I was trying to like think about it today and I was like, you, like I turned 44 this year and you, you don't, ever stop looking like yeah uh, and you like there's things you just don't figure out and if you say that phrase you're like oh when it oh that's not gonna stop and how do you ideally it won't stop how do you deal with that phrase and and i think when you when you get there is when you're like you're not going to just just keep on and that's the thing like i don't ever want to stop right thinking that i was young in all the wrong ways like i i hope that in you know that these these transitions i think happen for me, you know, I'm, I, I want them to happen every few years. I want that to be like, I, I want, you know, there are births, there are deaths, there are, mm-hmm. there are moves to new cities. There are, there, are, there are things that happen that totally shift our perspective on our very small world and on the big world. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and and um, that was a shift right there, yeah. Um, and and that I I never want that to stop and um and so I feel like we are all young in all the wrong ways every you know handful of years yeah. whether it's when you are a teenager and you go into summer vacation and you don't relate to the person you were a week ago when you were in the tenth grade because something has changed and you're like who is that person you think you're a whole new person or you go away to college or maybe you get a job or you, know, yeah. you break up with somebody and you realize um, that you you know that that thing is doesn't represent who you are, who you want to be, or who you can be. And ideally, um, yeah, I want to keep moving. I want to. I, I think one of my goals in my life when I was writing these songs was to not be intimidated by the future and to not be um, resistant to the unknowns of of things and to try and move forward and embrace the future head on. Um, even the intimidating, you know, things that you always have to adapt to, whether yeah. it's updating my phone or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. or, or starting a whole new phase in life. Yeah. I mean, do you, 
when you're writing this and when you're doing new music, do you think about, say, your audience and be like, what would they like? I mean, is that is that part no. of your life at this point? No, I not not now. I, the most important thing is to make a record that I will want to tour behind. Yeah. I, I am also terrified that I will somehow, I will fake it and then I will guess wrong and have to pay the price by touring behind it for a year and a half. Oh. And I only want to represent something I'm happy with. And so um, I'm also kind of fortunate to not be in an incredibly lucrative form of music where there's a ton of people right. relying on me for a huge amount of their, for their entire income. I can... I can, this is not a Springsteen yeah, situation, yeah, yeah. you know, like I can. Although it'd be I'm awesome still, if it was. Listen, I, I'm totally open Sarah to Sarah Watkins and her 30 piece band. I am. I'm open to it. <laughs> but, um, uh, Harley's for everyone. Um, but I don't, I don't think that, um, that, that allows me the, the, the ability to be limp, to be nimble. Yeah. And. I enjoy that. Well, and that's good. I think because, you know, you see a lot of younger musicians uh, and struggling with how to get stuff done in the business and how to actually be in the business. And a lot of them don't think about being nimble. They don't understand. Like, well, if you do try to run it like economically, you do try mm. to just... It also might be a fear it. of commitment. Who knows? But Well, yeah. yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think that's... There's a lot uh, of stuff in there. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, kind of stuff going on there. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's... Uh, you know, as people trying to figure out, because I mean, you right now, uh, and I'll see if you disagree with this or not. You're almost you and the people, you know, the people you play with, you know, Chris, uh, the American acoustic thing you did at the Kennedy center, mm. which we were there. Many thanks to your so label. It was amazing. This last minute they were like, cause we were actually supposed to talk then oh. and you got, you had to rehearse with, uh, Sarah and, uh, Ife. That 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 day was pretty nice. Yeah, I heard because I got a phone call. I was just like, "Yeah, it's not gonna happen." I was like, "Oh no!" Thank you for being flexible. No, it's fantastic. No, and because we went to the show that night and it was fantastic. But what we saw is that you and your friends and and some of the older generation, like Bela was there, and some of the younger generation, are really almost like not saving this music because it's not going away, but keeping it out there so people will. I guess have access to it. Like, do you feel that at like when you're in mid thirties that you're already essentially like a, a elder statesman of this stuff? I feel that sometimes. Do you? Uh, I really enjoy my age right now. Yeah. And I really enjoy just knowing some things. There's so much that I don't know, but I, I, you know, I know how I like to tour. I, I know how to, do more stuff than I did 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I feel more comfortable as a human and in different roles. Mm -hmm. And I'm just calmer. It's it's just, I, I identify with my age right now. Okay. And um, <laughs> the lights just went off. All right. Did, uh, did we unplug the lights as well? Um, no. Is the recording still happening? The recording is still happening. Let me... Where were we before the lights went out? Elder Statesman. Yes, yes. So, you know, you, you, this whole crew you have, uh, especially Chris, is like now he's taken over like Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, he's killing it. Which is, yeah, he, he is. And you have, I saw you uh, at Prairie Home Companion uh, last time at Wolf Trap, the last time you were there with Garrison. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you guys are plugged into this like tradition. Yeah. Now, and I mean, are you... Who, who are you bringing along with you? Like Sarah DeRose, obviously. Yeah, I, you know, I, I... There's there's a wonderful tradition in in this music, in this community of um, looking out for the younger players mm -hmm. and inviting them in. You know, a lot of a lot of my favorite who teachers to me, Daryl Anger is a perfect example. He's a, he's a fiddle player. I knew him from the Bay area. He now lives in Boston, I believe. And, um, this guy, you know, hires his students to play with him, gives them actual jobs, yeah. gives them gigs where they have to learn materials, show up, do stuff, which is get, the like, best thing. It's great. <laughs> Cause then and, all of a sudden you're like, 
Wait, it's a job. He doesn't need another fiddle player in his band. <laughs> and and it's incredible opportunity. Yeah. And and a lot of a lot of people do this where they'll, you know, hang out late and jam with the up and comers and yeah. and because we all experienced that. We all got to, you know, hang out in the parking lot at festivals and yeah. and see um and, and Ronnie McCurry, this legendary mandolin player, would come along and play, or Tim O'Brien, or these yeah. these people that would just make make some time for you and it means the world it really does and um i hope that i'm in a situation and that i have the the generosity and spirit to 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 give the way that the people gave to me yeah. and um the kennedy center thing is great it is pretty cool though that, that like you know i'm in i'm in my 30s this is our decade like restaurants yes. are for us they yes. are our friends are the people or people in our age bracket are yep. making restaurants yep People in our age bracket are making stuff for us. This is like my decade yeah. to enjoy it, it's, the things. It's, it's a little crazy. <laughs> and then it's going to go away, and that's fine. I feel like that's truly going to be when I'm, at, when, I'm, when I'm more of an elder <laughs> statesman. But um, it's really fun right now. It's, it's, um, it's very cool to see so many people have grown up with doing really cool things, challenging themselves, doing some of their best work so far, and, um, and maintaining those relationships. Yeah, I mean, because like when you the uh, I'm with her mm. project, when you meet someone like Sarah and is is it Ife? Ifa. Ifa, excuse me. When you meet somebody like them, do you immediately? Is there like a spark that you're like, oh, you're one of us. We got it. There's a or, little bit. It, or is it just like, oh yeah, we all do music. Let's just do music. It's both. Okay. It's both. It, it can happen any any number of ways. Um, and there are a lot of people who I feel an intense musical connection with who I really don't know a lot about personally. Okay. And you know. And um, Eva and Sarah happen to be two of my best friends yeah. these days um, because we've, we've really, really connected on both levels. Sarah I've known since I was 20, early 20s. Uh-huh. And she was playing mandolin. She's 10 years younger than I am. Yeah. And we'd see her when we were in Texas. She'd come out and play by the bus with us after shows. Met her at a festival. Well, she she got on the Nickel Creek plan, like start really young. Matter of fact, at that, everyone starts at, young. It's I very know, common. Well, maybe at that show, there was a little girl outside who was yeah. a fan of yours, and I don't know if you went out and saw her, but it was like I don't think Sarah I did. Not sure was, if I did. Uh, she was like posting for, and so it was fan, and all she wanted to do was meet Sarah Jerose. Oh, so good. And she's like nine years old yeah. and sings like better than most people you're gonna hear yeah. sing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I've known Aoife since uh, we were both in our early, same, about the same time, actually, we met and, um, and uh, saw each other many times over the years, always liked each other and always were friends, but, but the last couple of years have been, have been really special to get to uh, hang out and, and be part of their lives and, and actually collaborate. Do you guys, do, I mean, do you guys mainly tour or are you, are you actually... We haven't done a lot yet. Yeah, I mean, we I think did, there's an EP, maybe? There's an EP with two songs. Yeah. And we, uh, when we, our first show ever was uh, in Glasgow, Scotland. Yeah. Uh, for Cultic Connections, which was really fun. And then we did a, a, a few weeks, started in Sweden, went to Spain, and then continued in the UK. It was just the three of us in a station wagon driving around. So much fun. We had avocados and toast and butter and cheese <laughs> all day. And um, we, uh, had we did like a handful of shows, yeah. mostly in the in like we did four in Japan, Canada, couple couple things in the states. How did it go states. over in Japan? Hmm? How did it go over in Japan? It was really fun. They have a Blue Note in Tokyo that we did two oh, shows. Oh, that's it was really right. Lovely. It's great. And um, but we, I mean, that's not a lot for for uh, what we do, especially not. I guess not having a record, it kind of is. But it's funny our scene. You don't even have to be a real band to get people to, right, no, to come no. and see you sometimes because everyone's so, all the music listeners are so in tune with the individual members of each band. Yeah, yeah. And we have the solo things going on that people were just game to come out to the shows and see what happened. Which is like, that's like the dream it's of 2016. Ideal. <laughs> like, it's ideal. Like wherever you go, you can get people yeah. to come out. Um, how long are you going to be touring for this? This album? Yeah. I will tour through the summer of 2017. It's a lot. It's not nonstop, mind you. Of course, not, not, it's not like it's not like Dixie Chick touring or something. Um, are you mainly focused on that, or are you planning some other stuff? Or Mostly you... focused on this this year. Um, there'll be 
uh, my brother and I have a band called the Watkins Family Hour. Yes, that is a, do. It's a monthly gig in L.A. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing little house band things every once in a while for um, special events. And we might do a couple of those things. But who's, uh, who's in that band, if you want to run down the names? The, the band is changing. Yeah. We, we um, depending on who's around, who's available. Uh, for a long time, it was, um, it started 13 years ago, but, but the last like five, six years, and the band that we did an album with is Don Heffington on drums, Greg Lease playing pedal steel, Benoit Tench on piano and organ, Sebastian Steinberg playing bass, mm-hmm. my brother and I. And Fiona Apple sang mm-hmm. on that. And she went, we all went on a tour together. And um, like you did last summer, it was nuts. <laughs> I cannot believe like, that like everyone you do. agreed like, to do like, that. Oh, hey, I'm just hanging out with yeah. these people. And then Benmont couldn't make a bunch of shows because of his day job with Tom yeah. Petty and the Heartbreakers. So David Garza came out and saved the day and was a ringer for half that tour and played piano and electric guitar. He's out with me on this tour. Oh wow! Uh, and it um so anyway but that's a that's a monthly show you know the like this next month coming up is going to be much more stringy there's not going to be drums we decided we're going to do like have a, our cello friend cellist friend come maybe another fiddle player an upright bass and do a much more of a, um, a stringy kind of yeah kind of night and it's adaptability is what makes it really satisfying and fun and because we can you know treat each, each month as a different thing depending on right. you know what who's in town, who's available, what kind of seems like the most fun. And it's been a, an incredible opportunity to, to do that for 13 years. It lets us blow off steam, try things out. Yeah. I love it. So anyway, so that will happen next year, mm-hmm. but not any extensive touring. Just I think the touring will mostly just be uh, behind this new album. Nice. Nice. Um, I think that's about it. Okay. If like if the, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, you play in all the uh, Clinton rallies with I'm with her. <laughs> no, we haven't done any. One of you, I forget which one of you, it made the joke from the stage at the at the Kennedy Center. Eva, yeah, I think, it, I think it was Eva. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> we should. have the name first, guys. We have the name first. You should. We've been and we've actually been talking um, to a lot of artists about this too, especially as we're in uh, in the the clutch time. Right oh really? Now. I hadn't heard. Yeah, I know. And and seeing how people um like you have a platform, you have a voice mm-hmm. and that you play folk music which is the like music of protest mm-hmm. in history. I mean, is that something you and and all your friends are like trying to go out and do or is that I think some of my friends are. I'm yeah. not particularly. I was I got to be a part of a great tour with Patty Griffin and Anais Mitchell last yeah. year called the Use Your Voice Tour, mm-hmm. and it was in league with the League of Women Voters, and it was all Patty's idea. She wanted to do a tour that promoted voting, and it was non, um, I almost said non-denominational, it was, <laughs> it was non-partisan, right. and uh, not dissimilar, and, um, and a representative from the, the League of Women Voters came out every night and talked about local issues for like three or four minutes, right. you know, little things that were happening, uh, propositions on the bill, things like that, and gave them information. Because in a lot of states, it's really difficult to vote, as we've Absolutely. heard a lot of. Absolutely. But this was largely a local issue. We, like, at first, you know, we, Patty was in, was, um, I think I can, I can speak for her a little bit. She, she talked about it quite a bit, saying that she was inspired when she heard the dismal percentage of, of people who came out to vote in midterm or in um, yeah. off-year elections. Yeah. It was in single-digit per, per yeah, percentages it's, it's in, in Texas. It's, it was yeah. like 6%. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of all voters, single women are the least likely, in, in all the categories of, that, they, that they use, single women are, are the least likely to turn out for some reason. And she um, felt like she wasn't being represented and, and um, by her peers and social peers and um it was a really great tour to be a part of because i i have made a a large effort to not be particularly um partisan in public because i don't feel like it does that much good for me because people i think a lot of people have their opinions and they listen so many people like listen to the news that represents their thoughts and 
And I don't want to be, you know, pushed aside by oversimplifying something. Yeah, there's no way for, right? You know, the complic the, the the complications to really be clear to anybody else. And I well, don't really. I, I think never felt the need to. Yeah, yeah. I, I think too. If you're if you're talking from a strictly like songwriting perspective, like. It's a lot of work. It's you're a lot of work to You're say, essentially becoming a policy analyst. Yeah. And if you don't know policy... Try to make it rhyme. If you don't, yeah, if you don't know <laughs> policy, like, you're, yeah. you come off, like, sounding uneducated. Yeah, and, and or, or just... And, and, yeah. So it, often just getting in front of people can actually be more powerful, I think, than getting in front of people and laying out this song was like, this is about this injustice, and I this, you know... Yeah. Yeah, and just... But getting in front of people and saying, hey, we all relate to this, mm-hmm. now... Over here, here we're gonna talk about the issue for five I, I minutes. I think I think the best thing that came out of that tour was just so much conversation and people yeah. being encouraged, me being encouraged to have conversations with people to try and listen to the other side. And I heard this great definition of of uh, dialogue, which uh, the the way that I remember it is being that in, in order to have a dialogue, to have a conversation, mm-hmm. each party has to be willing to receive from the other party. Absolutely, and. I had never heard that before, and it, it really struck me that there are so many conversations, quote conversations, that I have with family members, old friends, um, people who I, you know, we're, we're just, we're in effect taking turns barking at each other, and you yeah. wait until that person's done so you can say the thing you want to say, and and there's not any kind of, of reception happening, and I was really inspired by that tour to, to you know, be much more open-handed with, with my thoughts and wanting to, um, to be aware of whether or not I was was genuinely interested in what someone was saying, and just even sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, don't ask if you don't care, and then yeah, if, if yeah, you care, definitely. make the effort to to try and and digest it. And I, so, to, to answer your question, I I don't I don't feel the need to to preach my views, but I I do feel the need to try and encourage conversation yeah. because I don't think it's they most, can hurt anything. It can only help. Well, it's, and... it's the most powerful thing you can do. Yeah. If you had, I, I just had a conversation with a, a guy who's, uh, he's towards the world, but he's an R&B artist, and we were talking about racism. Mm. And he said, we were like, well, what's the, uh, which we solved racism, by the way. Not really. But um, the biggest thing is to deprogram and to what you're talking about, to be able to listen. Like, and... Once you do that, you can then start to discuss. And if you just talk with people yeah. about it on a, in a, like a, you can have a healthy debate. Yeah. And uh, it seems not lost, but it seems not. The first time I ever had away. one, I was. It made such a mark on me when I when I had a conversation with someone who had the exact opposite views than I was raised with. Right. And I was not at all judged by it, by this person. I was not, I was young and he was a grown man and, and it was, um, it was a promoter and we were just like having a hang after the show, a bunch of us. And it made such an impact because it was not this binary world. He was, he was, you yeah. know, we were having a conversation and then it, 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 um, it, was a revelation to me that that kind of interaction could happen and I wouldn't get my head bitten off or written off as being, you know, um, all one color. And it was, it was really incredible. I, um, I had a thought. I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, I lost it. I'm sorry. Oh, that's, that's, that's okay. Um, yeah, so... Uh... Well, thank you for taking the time. I know, I know you're busy as hell. This was, this and, was uh, lovely. Thanks for having me. Glad you did it. And uh, hopefully you uh, see you the second time. Right? I look forward to it. Thanks, Sarah. Hope you like it. Watkins right there uh, 
hanging out at the Hamilton, chatting for a little while. That was uh, that was a fun chat. Challenging <laughs> logistics. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, uh, I, we actually started it. You know, it seems like it come in abruptly, and, uh, and and I forgot to hit record. And uh, she's such a pro that she just picked right up in it. You know, about fifteen minutes later, and we just we did it all again, and it, and it worked out. I think it worked out okay. So uh, thanks to Sarah for for taking that time out of her uh, busy schedule. Uh, you know, she's doing a, a lot of touring and a lot of press uh, now for this album and for this tour. Thanks to her label, New West, for for setting that up for us. Uh, you guys are are the best. Uh, I think set us up with uh, Robert Ellis too. Um, just good stuff going on there. Uh, you know, uh, on these podcasts at the end of this, we usually like to play a track by somebody you might not have heard of, but this time, you know, because I, I worry that maybe you missed Sarah's album. Um, you know, I'm sure you know who she is, but maybe you weren't aware that she had this album. So, uh, we're going to play one of the tracks. This is actually one of my favorite tracks this year. It's a, it's a, I mean, you heard us talk about it in the podcast, but, uh, the name of the track is young in all the wrong ways. It's the title track off the album. And it's, uh, it's just some great damn music. So if you're ready to, to experience this, to get it into your life and your heart, here you go. This is Sarah Watkins uh, with the title track off of her latest album, Young in All the Wrong Ways. Young in all the wrong ways. You take this pretty clear to see, honey, it's all the same. Cracks in the windows, broken chairs, no more to play. Was it time for me to hold on? There was a time for trust. But I'm not just gonna sit here in the dust. Tell me when you think.
Young in All the Wrong Ways. That is the title track of Sarah Watkins' latest album, Young in All the Wrong Ways. Uh, it's a great song, great album. It's good, good to get in your ears, get in your life, uh, and and enjoy that shit. Yeah, because that's what music was meant for. Thanks again to Sarah, and uh, thanks again to New West uh, for helping set that up. We have now reached the end of our podcast. If you enjoy what you you hear, uh, you can you can support us in a bunch of different ways. Here, you can subscribe to us. That's the easiest way. Uh, just do that in iTunes. You can leave us a rating, uh, whether it be a bunch of stars, uh, whether it be a comment. Uh, you know, give us feedback. We like that. There's also a comment section in the post on the site. Uh, we, you can listen to us on Google Play. You can listen to us on Stitcher, on Mixcloud. Uh, we are up on SoundCloud. Only the last two episodes, so we're pretty much pretty much everywhere that you would want to listen to us too. There's also uh, in the in the right below the bottom of the post, there's a little thing called the tip jar. Now, what that is is exactly what it says. Uh, if you like what we're doing and you say, "Hey, I like to sling my three bucks," I'd, I'd like to tip them. It's worth some money to you. Uh, then do that. What that's going to go for is you know small amounts. It'll just help pay for like the beer that I have to feed people <laughs> to talk on mic because it's scary. Uh, and, and, uh, food that I often cook people. Uh, and then, uh, if those numbers sort of, sort of grow, then we'll be talking about putting on shows where we're funding that stuff and, uh, and, and the artist gets paid and you get entertained and we don't have to worry about anybody losing their shirt in the process. So that's down there. We'll be talking more about it, uh, probably next year. Uh, uh, alarm, but for now we're just, we're just testing it out. So if, if so, if it's so, if you are so moved, hit it up. And if not, that's cool. We made it this far, guys. We're just gonna keep on keeping on. Um, so that's it. That's our podcast for this week. We thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back in a few days with a nice review of Anderson Pock and Knowledge's uh, album, collectively known as No Worries. Yes, Lord. And uh, and then after that, we got an interview with Skylar Goodaz and a, and a fantastic interview with the band Death on Halloween to close out Rocktober. Uh, so we'll talk to you in a few days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. See you later. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!